This is Tom and Matt from General Finishes, and we are Grain Knocker Nation. Is this not what you've been waiting for? Have you not been entertained? Pete from Furniture by Pete. Bill from William Patrick Customs. This is Grain Knockers. Right here, right now. Right now. Right now. What's up, Grain Knocker Nation? It's Bill, it's Pete, it's episode five, and we have an amazing, I know we say this every week, right, Pete? We have an amazing, oh, this week's amazing. This week is amazing. It it really is. Hey, guys, on today's show, we have Tom and Matt from General Finishes. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm super excited about the interview. I got a million questions lined up for them. I'm sure we could go on forever with them. It's going to be a fun time, I could tell. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the topic of today, obviously, with having general finishes on, is finishing your project. We have a little bit of the episode to talk about key things that you and I do in order to get the desired finish on our project, whether it's a table, whether it's paint, whether it's stain, or, you know, the poly, how you finish a finish. And I'll start off. I mean, most important thing to me of any finish is the prep. You have to prep the project properly, whether it's going through like one of your YouTube videos you have out of going through all the grits to get down to your 400 or higher. However, however high you go with your grits, Mm -hmm. your prep work, man, the fill. I've been on a project before where I have sanded, filled, sanded filled for like it seemed like two days just to get it to the way I wanted it yeah no doubt I mean prep is is key really with any finishing work whether it's furniture automotive home painting anything like that but I could tell you that from my following finishing and the products that I use in any tips is hands down the number one question that I get messaged about whether it's what do I use how do I do it how do I apply it I can go on and on and on but Finishing is a huge topic of conversation that people want to know about, you know, from whatever project they're working on, they just want to know the best finish. I mean, best finish what? Like best uh, poly to use, best way to paint. I mean, to finish a yeah, project, there's got to be like, what? It, how many steps? So prep yeah, or fill, sure. prep, paint, sand, then either paint again, sand, finish paint, and then clear, and then sand, and then clear. I mean, <laughs> it goes on yeah, and on. But- Sure, but they want to know just to be able to, you know, to relate to you. They want to know, you know, do you sand between coats? How many coats do you put on? What type of poly are you using? What stain is that? Did you use a conditioner? Not so much like, you know, the, the filling prep work aspect, but, you know, finishing is one of those things that people are intimidated by. Uh, I'm sure every one of you guys out there and the people that are live with us right now on Instagram, you know, finishing, you think on the surface it can be easy, but it's something that people are a little intimidated by. But it's the final step and it's what can make or break your project. And they want to get, you know, the best possible finish. So they want to know exactly what you do, exactly what I do. Having general finishes on, which, I mean, let's face it, I mean, they are... They are the name of names when it comes to stains and clear coats in our industry. Top-notch product. You pay for it, but it's superior to almost anything. But don't you think you said filling isn't really a part of finishing, but 
I remember when I first started building, I didn't fill as much because I was like, I'll just call this table or project rustic. You know, if it's, if I call it rustic, it can have the blemishes and people, you know, people, it's desired now to have the blemishes and stuff. As you move along and you learn more and more about, you know, your personal style and, and building craft, filling, I, I just think I'm a strong believer that filling and getting everything perfect, it's like you could have a mint car and a painter is still going to put Bondo in certain areas. And it doesn't mean the car's junk. It's just that's what it takes to get it perfect. Yeah. No, listen, no doubt. I'm not diminishing the uh, the filling aspect of it. I'm saying as far as questions are concerned. Nobody's emailing me asking me how much filling do I do or how do I do my filling. They want to know what grit did I sand to before I stained. Did I use a conditioner? What brand stain? Did I use water-based? Did I use oil-based? What type of poly did I use? What brand? How many coats did I put on? Did I brush it? Did I spray it? Did I sand between coats? Do I sand at the very end and then do a steel wool? Like they, they want to know that stuff. I think like you know the average person can and is comfortable with you know filling holes or knots or whatnot in that type of prep work. But I think that the overall finish, everybody strives for that perfect finish, that you know, immaculate clear coat, whether it's perfectly glass smooth or no brush strokes or no air bubbles. Everybody wants that perfect end-all finish. It's not easy, and that's why I say like, I think it's intimidating to a lot of people. So everybody's reaching out, trying to figure out who's doing what so that they can try it themselves and get a finish that they're happy with. So if you were to break it down, okay, if you if if someone were to message and just, "Hey Pete, give me give me like four things, very simply without getting into crazy detail. Give me four things that are the most important part to finishing a table." The most important part to yeah, finishing give me, a table? Yeah, give me some cliff notes. Uh, number 1, don't rush. Okay. I think I think I think rushing to get something done is the biggest mistake. It's it's the number one mistake that I think anybody out there will do. And that goes you with know, a lot of things. Like don't rush as far as like wait enough for the paint or the clear to cure. Oh, go back even before that. How about if you're filling your knots, make sure you just wait for your wood filler to dry. Truth. Even if you, even if you think it's already dried enough, give it a little extra longer. A little extra longer cannot hurt. Um. When plus, you do, wait, hold on. Plus, sorry to cut you off, but plus, we've all tried to sand down some wood fill before, before it was hard and dried out. And guess sure. what happened? You get tear out of the fill and you have to do it all over again. Yep. So, you know, so whether it's letting that dry, when you do your stain, like a lot of people are using water-based stains now. Why? Because it dries quick. Yep. Well, just because it dries quick doesn't mean in 10 minutes it's ready for a clear coat or even right before the stain. How about the conditioner? You know, it's funny. They say that you can apply the stain, say like 10 minutes or so after the conditioner. I let it go at least a half hour, maybe even 45 minutes. Uh, I find that I get a truer representative of the color the longer I let the conditioner dry. And then, you know, when you go to poly, yeah, let it dry that extra time. You want the poly to be as dried as possible before you're, you know, cutting it back with, you know, 320 to apply another coat. So 
I would say a number one rule that everybody breaks is not allowing for enough dry time. Okay, so that's your number one cliff note. And just to touch on the sanding in between thing, you said 320. Yeah. Do you use yep. 320 in between every coat of clear or do you break it down? I, I use 320 and 400 between every coat of clear that I do. Hmm. Every time, 320 and then 400, it's ultra smooth, ready to go, and I clear again. All right, one more thing to touch on your first cliff note there of uh, being patient, taking your time. I've never... Um, how old am I? I'm 36. I started messing with this stuff 20 years ago. I've never used a conditioner. Are you using water-based stains or oil-based? You only use a conditioner if you're using oil-based stains. It's not necessary with water-based. Okay. See, I that's one thing I'll happily admit I don't know much about conditioners. I And I've used oil-based stains, but not a ton, mostly water-based. Yeah. Uh, if I use um, oil-based stains from Minwax or Sherwin-Williams, uh, I use the uh, the Minwax preconditioner. Comes like in a little like red can. You know, you can get it at Home Depot, Lowe's, or whatever. It's pretty easy, and you throw it on there and just let it dry. But what does it what does it do? Is it ensure it's, a more like even stain? Even, yeah, like yeah, like you you don't get any blotchiness. You get a very even coat of the color. It absorbs evenly. You know, like the conditioner is really nothing but an extremely thin poly. Okay. That's really all it is. It's like super, super thin, dries super quick, but it just ensures you get a nice even coat. Yeah, uh, you know, more so like in the softer woods. Like for instance, I'm, I don't know if the conditioner is necessary if you're doing, you know, ash or oak because of the way those woods take stains. But in a soft wood, like your pine, your spruces, your firs, then yeah, you use a conditioner and you get a nice even color. So as a conditioner, would it be considered like a sealer? Are you sealing it kind of? Because I've had someone who uh, mentored me for a while uh, in finishing and showed me a trick of laying down a real thin coat of like a shellac sanding yep. the shellac down and yep. then yep. then putting your uh stain on and it you know you yep. have to play with it a little bit it, like you said about soft woods soft mm -hmm. woods and stains are probably way trickier than hardwood because it's just inconsistent there's there's yep. hard parts of the softwood the knot stuff like that but when you yep. put that sealer like a shellac or maybe you know like a conditioner it mm -hmm. really does allow that oil or the oil and water-based stains to really go across the wood more even and it looks a lot better. Well, and also with the conditioner as opposed to the the, uh, the shellac, the conditioner, uh, there's not a lot of odor to it. Whereas, you know, sh shellac, you get that, you know, that oh, yeah. smell. So there's really no odor with the conditioner. I mean, it when you throw it on there, like it looks like water. Like it looks like you're dumping mineral spirits all over your project because you get like that amber hue. But it's like water and you just like rub it in and then you wipe off the excess and it just like evaporates it. You know, that's how it dries. Okay, here's a question for you. And mm -hmm. most people probably heard about doing this before it actually happened to them like me because I'm a moron. Did anyone tell you on like oak or some other hardwoods to pop the grain before you stain anything? Because the first time I was no, doing I've... an oak table, I did an all oak t uh, conference table up top. And I go and put a water-based stain over the whole entire thing. 
and come back out and I run my hand over. I'm like, what in the hell? I call oh, the buddy. My buddy's like, oh, did you pop the grain? I'm like, no, I didn't pop the grain. What the hell's pop the grain mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. Well, I've heard, a, I, you know, the term I hear used all the time is, you know, you kind of go over it to raise the grain or like when you do the conditioner, the conditioner raises the grain. So after the conditioner, you're supposed to do like a light sand of like, you know, 320 and then you do it. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I've never done it. I've never seen an issue with it. So I can't really speak to what you experienced. Wait, so you, on like a hard, have you ever built like a table out of hardwood? Yeah, I did an ash table. So yep. you did, and the like what oil, did you use oil or water-based stain? If you use oil, flush. then you wouldn't have experienced it. But I, if you use a water-based paint, the water would actually pop or raise the grain. Uh, yeah, I don't think, I I actually think I did a uh, an oil-based. I think I used uh, dark walnut by Minwax, so it was oil-based on it. Hmm. Okay, we got someone chiming in on uh, Instagram Live. I just checked it out. 5 by 30 Woodworking says, raise the grain and cutting boards so you don't use it once and have fuzzies. The whole point of, you know, is you you raise the grain one last time and then you knock it back right and well then, once you, know, you raise it it's not supposed to come up again yeah right exactly that's that's why you do it you knock it back and then you stay but i think a lot of like uh beginners or people just starting off experimenting outside of the home depot and lowe's lumber yards you know they, yeah, probably, they sure. probably don't really know that so i think it's pretty cool to get that out there okay so that went way longer than i thought so what's your uh second cliff note most important things in finishing a project, what would your number two be? Uh, if you're going to sand between clear coats like I do, sand 32400, really important to wipe it down, like really thorough. You know, people seem like they, uh, they experience getting, you know, like dust or little nicks, you know, in the clear coat, little pricklies. And it's probably due to the fact that they didn't do a good like wipe down after you sanded it so again just simple things about taking the time and not rushing it all comes back to not rushing it really when it comes down to it, you know two things one person just chimed in on uh, grain knockers live edwards workshop says what's the best way to raise the grain uh simply edwards all you have to do is dampen a rag like a terry cloth rag wipe yep. it over the entire table you don't have to soak the wood you just have to allow a little bit of water to get in that grain Give it mm -hmm. 20, 30 minutes, that grain will pop up. You'll actually run your fingers right across the table and you'll feel the grain kind of nubbing against your hand. At that point, you just want to make sure the wood is dry and it's dried out. And then you go over with like what Pete said, like a 320, even a 220, depending on where you're yep. at in your finishing sure. process. Secondly, Pete, what, yep. pro what do you use? What technique do you use to clean in between sandings on your clear coats? I know with me, I use what I just said to pop the grain. I use a a damp rag, not wet, but damp. I wipe yep, it down. Too. I dry it. Then I use um, tack cloth. I First stage for me, it depends kind of like what's going on in the shop, but sometimes I'll use my air nozzle on it and try to get it out of the cracks and stuff. So is that what you kind of do too? Yep, pretty much. I use just a, a, a damp rag, wipe it down, wipe it down again, get a dry rag, wipe it down, I might take some compressed air, blow it out too. You know, anything like that. Just wipe it down really, really good. And if you do that, if you stand between coats, if you wipe it down good, when you do your last coat, you shouldn't have any need to touch it. Yeah. It should lay nice. It should lay nice and smooth, nice and flat. You'd be good to go. Yeah, I always use like the tack cloth for like the last step. You know, to really just get yep. it real clean, and then sure. most of even like the smallest 
particles you, that you can't even see. The tack cloth, it'll grab it. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, taking your time and then sanding, making sure you sand in between coats. What's number three? Honestly, I don't really have a three. I mean, All right, I got know, one. Really, I got one. I got your really, back. Really, what I, what I went over is, you know, pretty much like, you know, what I adhere to. I got your back. Only because today we're talking to general finish, and I will happily admit that finishes, finishes. What did I say? Finish. You keep leaving off the S. Oh, sorry. I'll happily admit that I do not know everything about paint stains and gel stains and polys and clear coats. I I don't know everything about it. I mean, it's not. It's not like the technology is changing so much, but what we do, there's so many different, you have to be a tool expert. You have to be a wood expert. You have to be a fan, you know, all these different things. I would say product knowledge, know what the hell you're putting on your project. You know, if you're going to use a dye stain, know what a dye stain is. Do it on a practice piece. Do it on a cutoff. If you're going to use a gel stain, make sure that you didn't spend three days building a badass table just to put a gel stain on it and mess it all up. Uh, I would say my biggest downfall is not my willingness to not experiment. I should really want to try out all these different types of finishes that are available to us. But probably like a lot of people listening, you know, you don't know how it's going to finish. You don't want to take the gamble. Um, you don't know much about it. And, you know, I think that it's time just to kind of, you know, set some time apart just to try out these different finishes to see, you know, I might like something else. I've, I've found what works for me right now and I'm stuck with it. But I kind of want to see if I could, you know, be brave enough to branch out and do something like an armor seal, uh, which, you know, I think I have a table coming up, which will be perfect for. Or, you know, something like that. I mean, Have you ever used before, it before? No, I've never used it before. Yeah, and neither have I. I. Get a lot of, I get a lot of questions about it, uh, but I don't really have much to offer because I've never used it. Uh, but I want to. I mean, it's been around for so long. I mean, there's a reason why it's been around for so long. So I want to use that. And But, you know, but just like I, I evolved from brushing all my finishes, uh, I was scared to spray and I jumped in the spraying, and I've enjoyed that. I'm still learning it. But you know what? I think it's time that I do that as well for finishing and, you know, kind of not be afraid to screw up. And, you know, if I don't like the finish that I try out, then I don't like it. You right. know? I mean, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I think our last uh, cliff note that we'll touch on for finishing, um, at least for me, and maybe some people can relate as well, is that in the beginning – when I first started messing around with, you know, new products, whatever. I wanted that mere, perfect, undeniable, machine-like finish, right? Sure. Sometimes it's best because a customer won't even see it just to be done with a project and walk away with a finish. I, I've, get, I've gotten so caught up in projects and how they look, and it's okay to be like that. But when you're doing it full-time for a business, you have to finish a project and move on. Have you ever been in yep. that situation? Yeah, I mean, look, I always want the perfect finish on all my tables. You know, every single time. I'll do everything I can to get that perfect finish on one of my tables. Just like you said, how, you know, you got to finish a project, get it out the door, especially when you do it full time. I think that's the number one reason why I don't experiment with finishes. You know, because I, I don't want to risk 
losing time or messing up a project or anything like that that's going to set me back. Right. But, you know, I'm telling you, uh, there are so many great things out there available to us and that are, you know, evolving as time goes on and the products are just getting so superior than they were years and years ago that, you know, I think it's time to branch out a little bit and try something new and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And with companies like General Finish that offer, you know, milk paints, dye stain, gel stain. Now, I think their gel stain is only an oil-based gel stain. Is that right? That's right, isn't it? You know, I'm not sure. I'd have to take a look at the can. I'm not sure. I, th I think so. Um, they're coming up later on in the show. So uh, mm -hmm. actually, they're coming up real quick. We'll probably catch up with everyone after we have General Finishes on. Uh, yep. They'll be up in a second. And you know what? Finishing projects and some of these techniques and tricks and, and whatnot, we're, we'll be talking about this again. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I, I can tell you this. Uh, you know, like the, the number one question that I get asked as it pertains to finishes, the brand clear coat that I'm using, like what clear coat am I using? And when I tell them I use general finishes, the, re the instant reply back I always get is, oh, it's a lot of money. Like, is it worth the extra money? Right. I can, I can tell you right now it's worth the extra money. I don't know how to like really describe it other than you can feel the difference. When you put your hand on it, you can tell that you are feeling a superior clear coat. Oh, yeah. And like many of you out there, I mean, I was using Verithane's uh, water-based poly, and I like it. It's a good poly. Uh, but the general finishes is a great poly. Uh, and I really gotta, uh, I gotta give it up though. Like it is worth the extra money. Um, you know, it, it just feels like a superior clear coat. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, when you go into a retailer that has general finish, you're like, Oh, what's that? You know, the first time you've seen it or if you see it online and then you happen to stumble upon it in like a specialty store where they're sold you walk right up to it and you start checking it out. Like the label kind of is like mysterious, isn't it? It's not like a label that just... If you if you call them general finish one more time, I'm going to drive to Chicago and slap the shit out of you. You What are you going to slap, my knee? Okay, yeah, I might. Whatever I can reach, okay? Whatever yeah. I can reach. Yeah. It's finishes. Okay. Finishes. General dumbass. finishes, jerk. There you go. Congratulations. No, but have you have you had that moment? Like we have a specialty paint store I go to all the time and General Finishes has like a beautiful display and it's cool because like Festool sold there too and like it's just a cool store. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I say it all the time. I mean, you know, like the, the eye appeal is what, what the first thing that catches me, you know, with, you know, every tool. Like it's like the number one reason why like I've never gravitated toward Makita. It's not that they're a bad tool. I just never thought that they looked great. So I've never really like looked at them. Yeah, I love when it like you know, yeah, like you look at the label and it's got kind of like the the eagle thing on it. it. Just it just looks awesome. You're like, yeah, geez, yeah, you know, what is that over there? Let's go check that out. It's just cool, and you know, they they don't have like they don't have like the color of the stain on the label, and I think it's genius, and I'll tell you why. You ever buy a stain color in the store and then get home and put it on wood and it doesn't even look close? Yeah, not only does it not look close to the label, 
it never even looks like the sample that they put underneath <laughs> like the shelf thing, you know? They always got the shelf thing under the stain. Minwax does it all the time. You know, where they got it like on oak and pine. You get home like this doesn't look anything even like that stupid plastic sample that they had. <laughs> hey, uh so. real quick, Shamrock Woodworks um had a comment on Insta Live on Grey Knockers. Uh do yep. either of you guys make stain samples to show clients? That would be a yes, good way to try new techniques on pieces of wood. And I'm assuming he also thinks it's a good idea to have the samples. Yeah, I mean, I have color blocks. Um, I've got a huge bag, and it's probably got 25 or so. I've got, like, every color in there from uh, Minwax, Varathane, uh, and a whole bunch from Sherwin-Williams. And they're all labeled, and they're, like, three by three or four by four blocks. So they're big enough to get, you know, like a good representation of the color. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I care. I mean, it's a big, awkward bag, but it's got every color in there and I bring it to every client meeting and so that they can pick it out. Okay. What kind of wood do you put it on? Uh, well, all my samples are the spruce ones. Cause that's the majority of the tables. Okay. Now, if I know I'm make if I know that I'm making a table out of ash, what I'll do is I'll ask them what family they're kind of going for. And if they say, you know, we're looking for like dark browns, then I'll grab all the dark browns I have and I'll do it up on, on ash right, or, or whatever sample, whatever wood that I'm using for that particular table. The, uh, the nine foot table that I delivered last week that you guys saw on my feed, that nine foot table was made out of fur and fur has like a natural, like, reddish color to it and so i did 12 samples of like in the palette that they were kind of looking for because i know that it was going to represent different on that because of the reddish tone of the wood uh than you know the normal spruce so that's what i did i did all new samples uh in fur very nice all right cool and i also and i and i also clear coat them too oh do you uh, I just, in what yeah satin? i just uh yes yeah, satin or semi-gloss just it's not even so much to show them the finish. I think it's more or less to keep the color looking true. Yeah, to get it to pop. Sometimes when you get yeah. even water-based stains, um, they gray out a little bit until yeah, you get that sure. clear over them. So I yep. get what you're saying. That's a good idea. That's a good tip, too. Uh, if you're yep. going to start making samples, throw clear over it and get a, a truer representation of that stain. Yep, and then and then in the end, when they pick the sample... If they want to keep the sample, they can keep the sample. And if they want to go like chair shopping or anything like that, if they're buying a table, I'll let them keep the sample. And then I can just pick it up when I deliver the table. Make another. I can make another one at home. It's not like really a big deal. But yeah, I mean like little things like that. You're pretty full service, buddy. I try to be. I mean, you know, I'm, I like to think that I'm booked out as far as I am for a reason. I probably go a little bit overboard. But, you know, hey, I mean, it's. It's keeping me going. It's, you know, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, so I'll just keep doing, you know, what works for me. Nice. Um, and a cool announcement. We did post on our Instagram page that we are having a 1K giveaway. And right now I'd yes, like we. to take the time to tell you what that is. Uh, when we hit 1,000 followers, which will only happen if you guys share and repost that giveaway, we're going to give away three grand prize packs. And the gr grand prize packs are from general finishes, okay? The prize packs will include a stain blocker, a stain, 
a poly. All from General Finish. You get all three. They'll mail them to you, and three people will do it. So this is a great opportunity for a chance to try out General Finishes. Great way for a couple lucky people out there to get to use that superior product and really know what it's like. On top of that, as we've set up the interview and talking with General Finishes, one thing that I didn't know, which I think is completely amazing on their part, is if you go to their Facebook page and if you post your work on their page, you know, you're using General Finishes product and, you know, you sealed your table, you did a stain, you post a picture of that on their page, they will share your work. They will spread the work around. And they have this kind of this motto that they stand by that when the customer does well, they do well. So they, as big as they are, and they've been around for 90 years, you know, they, it doesn't matter how big you are. They want to promote your work. If you're using their products, they want to see it and they want to promote it. And that's pretty awesome. I mean, you got to love a company that really wants to do that and give back a little. Yep. Hey, right now, let's go to General Finishes. Let's dial them up. Uh, after the interview, we'll come back for a couple and get you all caught up. Yeah, sounds good. Let's do it. Hey, what's up, Grain Knocker Nation? We are super pumped to have General Finishes on our show. We're talking finishing, and we're gonna we're gonna spread the love, the knowledge. You're gonna be you're gonna leave this podcast a better person. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, thanks so much uh, to, to Matt and to Tom. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's get right down to it. Tell us about General Finishes as a company, what you guys strive for. You're known throughout the woodworking world for having top quality products. Tell us about the company and what your products are all about. Well, that's a, that's a good question. Thanks a lot for uh, bringing us on today. Uh, General Finishes, I think a lot of people don't know this, but we'll be 90 years old next year. The business started in 1928, just inside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, it's kind of morphed over the, the decades, but I'd say in the last 20 years, I think General Finishes has kind of made its footprint in the, the coatings market by producing high quality, you know, we're really dedicated to quality and service of, of water-based finishes, plus traditional woodworking finishes for wipe-on oils and stains and sealers. So it's it's really become a, a much broader spectrum of product line that we have today. And I, there's still a lot of people out there just discovering us. So we're excited about that. And just so everyone knows, because I'm a horrible host, I forgot to let everyone know that that's Matt and Tom, part of General Finish's uh, sales force <laughs> over there. Sorry about that, guys. Um, okay. But but uh, Pete forgets about me all the time, so it all evens out as the episode goes on. I'm I'm the talent, so it's real easy to forget about him. Yeah, oh, so, here we go. I gotta ask this question because it's the one that I have yet to be able to get an answer to. I've asked people at Woodcraft, I've asked people at Rockler, and I use General Finishes all the time for my tabletops. Uh, I think it's a superior poly that I use the water-based high-performance top. So. I walked into the store and I was looking at that and I was looking at your water-based Enduro Var. And if you look on your website, the HP top coat uh, says durability high, hardness 59. On the Enduro Var, it says the durability is medium, hardness 123. So my question was, how can something be almost du double the hardness, but you know, not as durable? Hardness doesn't 
equal durability in, in just numbers alone. Because dur- durability is really a it's a relative term. It's all it's all relative to the exposure of what the, the surface is going to be used for. Endurovar is a it's an alkyd varnish much more similar to armor seal in an oil-based product. It's it's a hybrid system, but it gets super hard very quickly. The the durability of high performance, and high performance has been around for about 25 years now. It's a great product, brushes nice, it sprays nice, but it's got good longevity just because of the type of chemistry we're using in in the system. Uh, we, we just refinished our lunchroom tables here at General Finishes, and, and I'm saying these were done about 18 years ago with high performance urethane, and that product just wore just uh, like iron over the years. So to me, it's more relative to the application the substrate, is it a soft wood, is it a hard wood, and what it's going to be used for. So I, I don't look at them as necessarily equal to or the numbers. It's more relative to the project at hand. So not only the project at hand, but does it have something to do with how brittle it is too? Yeah, it's not brittle. I mean, that's the hardness of that product is really unique. And that's because it, you know most of these systems in the water-based product lines have really been developed in the flooring industry. So what over the years, the resin systems that we use have usually started in the flooring uh, markets. And that's why hardness is relative in floors. There's nothing worse than putting a finish on a floor and having wear off in a year or two. So we look at Endurovar as an alternative to the, to the guys who want to use an oil-based product. It has more of an oil type look to it. And it, it actually, if you smell it, you can smell the alkyd resin in it. So it's a unique animal, and it's really a very niche-oriented product, I think. On a day-to-day general-purpose finishing application, high performance is probably more suitable for more people. But um, we sell a lot of it. We've been selling it since uh, 2007, and it's, it's done very well for the markets, especially if guys are doing like cherry or mahogany or walnut, woods that require that depth and color that you get from an oil-based product. Hi, uh, my question for you guys, you know, it's funny, uh, Matt, I think I recognized your name because I think I talked with you on email about this. I asked somebody, and I, again, I could be wrong, water-based finishes have come a long way, especially, you know, the polys, the water-based high-performance high top coats. So I said, you know, in your opinion, how many, you know, water-based coats would say equal an oil-based coat? And I was told they're, you know, you would take it coat to coat that the water-based finishes have come a long way. Uh, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about how how far along they have come and, you know, are they kind of now, you know, like the, the bread and butter of the industry as opposed to oil-based finishes? I mean, I think I think there's always going to be people out there who, who stick with what they know and they kind of grew up on oil-based finishes and that's all that they're going to ever want to use. Uh, you know, those people are going to be hard to convert over. Uh, we feel as a company, though, that our water-based top coats are just as durable as any oil-based out there. We have several different water-based top coats for several different applications. Uh, we would put them up against anything that's out on the market, oil-based or anything else. What What would you say? Um, so I'm a full-time furniture maker. I can't use oil-based finishes because of the odors I deal with, uh, migraines. What would you say? If, if say it's not the high-performance top coat. What does General Finishes recommend as, say, the, like the best overall finish for, say, a tabletop? I get that question so many times. You know, what I use, everybody's looking for that, 
that best finish for their tabletop? Sure. I think it depends where you're, you're going to put it. Uh, in an industrial setting, uh, we always recommend conversion varnish. It's our two-part uh, water-based top coat. For that setting, we feel that that's definitely the way to go. Um, you know, for your home table, something like that, we have clear poly, we have high performance. They're both strong enough to hold up to everyday durability issues for sure. As soon as I found out about the Enduro clear poly, and I don't mean the black label, but the blue label. So I use it over whites. Okay. Um, I yep. have never used anything else. It's been flawless. Um, even out of my spray system, it's amazing. And I'm not here just because you're a guest, you know, kissing butt. That stuff is legit. Making, you know, I, I put it on my barn doors, uh, all inside use, of course, but I put it on my barn doors. I put it on my tables. Any kind of furniture I make, it's the Enduro for me. I don't know what you use, Pete. I know you mentioned. Yeah, I, I tell you, for the longest time, I was using uh, Verathane's water-based poly. And then one day I decided to try the high-performance water-based top coat. When it dried, all you know, everybody was asking me about it, and the best way I could describe it was just feel. When you touched it, you felt like you were touching a superior top coat. I, I, I didn't feel like I was hitting plastic or anything like that. Like it, it just had this superior feel to it. It went on beautifully, you know, as you know, a lot of finishes do. But there was something about how it dried in the feel to it. I just knew that I was getting what I paid for in that product. Well, what about? So I don't know what the secret is, but it's amazing. What about the dry time? I mean, there's no poly that I've worked with before that's water based that dries that fast. Yeah, no, it definitely dries out fast. I was wondering if you can guys uh, can talk with us about that. Yeah, the you know, and you got it. You got to understand too that it, all of this stuff didn't happen overnight. This has been in a process of probably two decades. You know, I, I started with General Finishes in 1994. And, and, and came from a shop, I owned a shop, a restoration shop, and I started using water-based finishes in 1982, which uh, back in those days was the Hydrocoat, and went to a seminar about water-based lacquers. And I was intrigued because, Pete, exactly what you said, headaches, working in a spray booth all day long spraying lacquers, I figured there had to be an easier way of making a living without dying at an early age. So sure. <laughs> I went to this class and started. I started using water-based finishes in my shop. It, back in those days, it was a great idea. It's just that the product just didn't work very consistently. And uh, over the years, though, uh, getting back to, you know, technology, the, the, the raw material technology has improved substantially even in the last five to seven years. And what I'm going to say is, as a company, we focus all of our energy and resources and R&D into making better water-based products. Uh, we don't sell a lacquer. We don't sell house paints, we really try and stay focused on product development and, and perfect what we're trying to do. And I, with the high performance, that's a, that's a perfect case in point. It's been around for almost 25 years now, but we've made subtle changes and improvements to make it feel more like a traditional lacquered finish. So I, I follow you on Instagram, Pete, just so you know. So I was intrigued oh, nice. when I saw you make the switch and I was curious to see what your results were going to be. So uh, yeah. They're absolutely uh, amazing. I, I, I'm getting into uh, spraying. I used to just brush. Yeah. So I'm still fiddling around uh, getting to, you know, the adjustment in, you know, how, how much, uh, you know, volume to come out at any given time, fiddling with the nozzles and whatnot. But I, I'll tell you, just everybody that messages me, the only way I can describe it is the feel. 
And there's just something about when your hand hits it, you know that you're just you're touching a superior clear coat. And it wasn't like I was dissatisfied with the Vera thing. It felt fine. It did its job. But I got to say, I was really surprised because I was like, geez, you know, how much better could it be? You know, it's a, it's a water-based poly. I mean, I'm sure like they're all the same. That was my attitude. And I'm sure a lot of people out there like that. But just one day I said, ah, you know, screw it. I'm going to buy it. And I tell you, it was worth every bit, the 73 bucks I paid for it. You got every value out of that can. Uh, it was an absolute superior finish. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, we appreciate that. It, it, it's a product that I use. I, I build tables and that's what I use. And you get back in talking about quick dry times. That's just all relative to the science that's built into it. You know, we want things to, they can't dry too quickly because they still need to resolve. So they need to flow and level and tighten down. But in, in my mind, I think all water-based finishes have a tendency to dry fairly quick compared yep. to a traditional oil base. So that's the hardest curve for guys who are switching over from oils to water is the, the drying aspect of it. And what's really nice is, you know, you can put on several coats in a day if you have to, and you can accelerate it with heat either by using infrared lights or air movement. Of course, we have the luxury of having a full production spray shop, but uh, that's the beauty thing about water-based finishes is I know I can stain something and seal it and, and move along quicker without having to wait for paint to dry. You know, that's, sure. that's a hard thing to do when you're trying to make money you know, doing this for a living. Amen to that. Yeah. The, the using heat, I remember the first time I did that, it didn't end up well for me. Uh, <laughs> I was a little too close for a little too long. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta yeah. stand off a little bit, but you can accelerate with heat. You Works good. Yeah. You just have to be careful. I always tell people that they should let it rest. If they're going to yeah. use any kind of heat lamp, let it rest for five to 10 minutes, then yeah. put it under the heat lamp. So then your finish isn't going to blister. Or yeah. Like that. Could you, uh, could you talk to the audience the difference between uh, dried and cured? Uh, that is something I uh, I explain to every single one of my clients when I deliver the table is the table right now is dried, but it's not cured. And it usually takes, depending on the area, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of 20 days, say three weeks for it to be fully cured. T describe to the audience, the people that just don't know that, the difference, what that means. So dry is, is is pretty obvious right dry is you know my finish is dry to the touch i can touch it and you know there's there's no tackiness it's just a smooth surface finish that's dry cured is when the finish is at its optimum hardness it's tightened down it's where it's going to be at the end um people like you said people confuse those all the time and the best way to describe it is say um you know if, if it's just dry and you put a glass on it and you take it off you can get that white ring that's it. That's it. The finish is just dry. If you did that on a cured finish, wipe that away, you'd get no ring. So that's the difference. The, the cured time is what it's optimum. That's kind of how it's always going to be. That's how it's supposed to be. When dry is just kind of dry to the touch. Yeah, the way I describe it to the families, because uh, a lot of people who are buying these farm tables have kids, is uh, to to speak in terms that they would know. I try to say that if your kid scratched it, there's a good chance it goes through the clear coat in the beginning. Yeah, uh, I, if if it's cured, chances are it could stay like a surface scratch to stay in the clear coat. Yeah, I kind of look at it this way. Um, it's like a it's like a newborn baby. You you build a table and you put a fresh finish on it and you deliver it. Most people aren't going to have the luxury of waiting, you know, 21 days before they can deliver their furniture. So most stuff is delivered within probably 
three to seven days after it's been finished. And that finish has started to cure over that period of time. And you can get by with, we, I, I used to deliver tables and I just tell them, treat it with kid gloves for the first couple of weeks, you know, wipe up any spills, use coasters and placemats, but just think of it as a newborn baby and it's going to be delicate for the first 30 days. Is there a difference besides the obvious difference between spraying and brushing difference in how you can layer it spraying on clear on poly? Yeah. Does it, it obviously goes on thinner in my opinion, just because that's how I spray. Is there, do you have to put on more coats when you spray compared to a brush because of the thickness that it's applied? Me personally, I think you can get more product on when you spray. You're, I think you're getting more product on when you spray versus when you brush. Think about transfer the efficiency. So when you're brushing or rolling a coating on, you're transferring probably 90% of the product that's in your brush or roller onto the surface. When you're spraying, with HVLP technology these days, they've improved that to 85% transfer efficiency, but you can make multiple passes to build your film thickness. I still, on like a tabletop, like what Pete does, I, I, I look at a lot of his tables. And when I used to do tables, I would always do, typically I'm like a three to five coat guy. It's all relative. If it's a soft wood, I'm going to put additional coats on to build film thickness to get up above the wood. So if it does get damaged, I'd rather have the finish damaged than the wood be damaged. But like on a hard maple top, you sometimes you can get by with a, a three to four coat finish because the wood is so hard. I'm not concerned about it as much. But spraying, it to me, is a much more efficient way of laying down a, an even film thickness, which is really where the control comes in. And most sprayed pieces compared to people who are brushing, the beautiful thing about high performance is it brushes and sprays equally well. That's what I love about that product. Can you talk to us real quick uh Aside from like the obvious look or viscosity, the difference between a gel stain and just a normal water-based stain, uh, does one absorb better? Does one not require, say, a conditioner? Uh, you know, why would one choose one over the other? Throw dye stain in there too. Throw dye because <laughs> I've never used okay. a dye stain, but I just got some and. Pete was kind of telling me about it, and I was like, I've never used a dye stain. I'm freaking out over here, but I'm, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, let's start with dye stain then. Dye stain is, uh, it's a, think of it as ink. It's a thin solution of color. And whereas, you know, your typical stains, they're very topical. They sit on top of the surface. A dye stain will penetrate deep into the wood. So it won't, it'll only enhance the grain. It won't really cover anything up. So on your, your figured maples, um, your burls, your bird's eye maples, stuff like that, dye stains are great because all they do is enhance it. They don't cover up any of that whatsoever. Uh, also, the little sidetrack here, but dye stains are great for if you're toning, kind of adding them to your top coat. You can add a little dye stain to kind of you know cover your piece, build a little different color in your top coats. Dye stains are great for that. But they're also very thin. Uh, where we're talking water-based stains, General Finishes water-based stains, they're a semi-gel. They're very topical. They're pigment-based. So what they do is they sit on top of the surface. So when you apply it, you wipe off the excess. That leaves the color in the wood. It doesn't penetrate deep into the wood. Uh, and that, that helps because it's a water-based. So most people think water-based grain raise right away. That's kind of one you know, name association. Everyone thinks water-based stains raise the grain. Uh, because we switched it to a semi-gel, because it's very pigment-based, um, we think that we can control that blotchiness and grain raise really well with that. 
And what about a gel stain? Gel stains are full body gel. Um, we make those only in the oil-based line, um, but they're really thick, um, very easy to apply, easy to see where you put it on and wipe it off, very consistent, uh, and they're full of color, heavy pigment base in those. So for just someone that is like a weekend woodworker, if they're looking, you know, at a walnut color, uh, does does the type of wood that they use in dictate like what you, whether they want to use a gel stain, a water-based stain or whatnot? Uh, explain the difference just, you know, for the people out there that are just getting into it and want to try different finishes, you know, how would someone go about choosing each of those? Sure. So it, it really depends obviously the type of the wood and the look you're trying to get, you know? So if you've got an expensive piece of wood and you want people to know that it's an expensive piece of wood, you like your figure maples, your cherries, mahoganies. I always tend to go with like a dye stain just to enhance the grain. So you can kind of show off the wood itself and obviously change the color. If you're going to use your poplars, your pines, where you just want to kind of get a color more than a grain, that's when I think the regular water-based stains and the oil stains come into play a little more. Okay. So you said uh, general finishes goes 80 years back. 90. What's that? 90. 90? 1928. 90. 1928. Okay, so let's go go back 90 years because I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, what, how did general finishes break out 90 years ago? I mean, was it paint? Was it stain? How did general finish start? It's a, it's a, it's kind of an interesting story. So it was a small lumber yard that had uh, called Pipcorn Lumber in Milwaukee. And, uh, they were looking for like a, uh, a varnish or a finish that their customers could use or that they could use to seal their wood. And, and somehow they, they, they hooked up with this, this neighbor. And uh, that's where really Armor Seal came into play. So Armor Seal in itself is really the flagship product. It's been around for almost 90 years and it hasn't really changed radically over the years. Through the maybe 30s, 40s, and 50s, they sold finishing kits that had a three-part finishing system, uh, step one, step two, and step three. And today we still have the Seal Cell Clear, which is a penetrating oil sealer, which is step one. And uh, Armor Seal is this, the second uh, part of it. We eliminated the third part because it became confusing for people. But it's kind of funny because those products over the years, that's why woodworkers by, by nature love them. They're easy to work with. They're absolutely, uh, you know, flawless finishes when you can get the wipe-on process, and that's why they're so popular, and that's what's carved us into the woodworking market. Since you brought up Armaseal, talk about the product itself, what it strives at, its best applications. I can tell you that from just a name standpoint alone, everybody's heard of Armaseal. I get a ton of messages asking me if I've used it, uh, the benefits of it. Now, I have not used it. Uh, I have a feeling that I have a product, uh, I have an order coming up that I think will probably be best for it. It's going to be a live edge ambrosia maple table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So could you talk about the product itself? Because like I said, it's, it's, it's a signature product. It's got just a cool name that everybody recognizes. And what are the benefits to it? Where would someone use it? So Armaseal, I'd say the, the, the best thing about it is that it's incredibly easy to use. Right. Um, It's a wipe on self leveling. You know, it's a really easy finish to use kind of. There's a couple ways to apply it. You can apply it with a rag, uh, paint pad applicator, foam brush if you have a small product. So it goes on in many ways. Uh, It levels really nicely. 
gives you a really nice ambering tone color, especially like you said, and you've got that maple top coming up. That's going to amber and patina really nicely with that Arma Seal. It's extremely durable. And, you know, and you can build coats with it too. And, and the gloss sheen, you know, the gloss you can get really high. Uh, the satin is a nice dull finish. I mean, it, it kind of covers all bases for an oil base. What easy to apply wipe on finish for sure. Now, is it characterized as a poly? Like if somebody hears it, like, do you th- like, you know, if somebody spills something on it, does it act the same way that a poly does? No, you know, poly is such a, uh, such a vague term these days because in most people's mind, they just, just think of polyurethane. I mean, sure. we, we do consider it, it's an alkyd urethane, so it's got excellent chemical water resistance and scratch resistance. But yeah, it, when you talk about polys, that's what the first thing people talk. I would probably say most people think of like Minwax polyurethane, you know, the thick, heavy, kind of plastic looking type varnish. Armor Seal stays close to the wood and really brings out natural character of the wood and doesn't look artificial. It's got a great natural look to it, nice hand rubbed feel to it. So. That's why it's been so popular, I think, with woodworkers. They just they can use it on almost any species of wood and have a, a really nice outcome uh, as far as the finish is concerned. Talking about live edge, there's been debate on Instagram a lot that I've seen uh, from people saying to debark or leave the bark on. People that I've talked to say you have to take the bark off. Is Armaseal something that would help if someone decided to leave the bark on to keep it trapped in there, or do you not recommend that? Well, it's, uh, you know, I'm doing one right now. It's to me, it's, you got to get anything loose off. You know, if you, if you have a live edge with bark on it, eventually that bark's going to dry out and peel and flake. Armor seal wouldn't act as like a glue or a sealer to prevent that from happening. I just want to sand it. I guess I'm a no bark guy. When you come no down bark. To it. Yeah. I used to work in a lumber yard and we used to sell a ton of live edge slabs and we would always tell people if it's coming off or if it's loose, and pull it off. Yeah. If you can pull it off without any trouble whatsoever, take it off, then finish it. But if, if the bark's on there and it's not going anywhere, you can armor seal sure. over the top of it for sure. And you said that armor seal is, you know, will hold up to, you know, spills or, you know, pre, be pretty good scratch resistant. Since it is most commonly used as a wipe on, uh, you know, would you recommend, say, like double the coats, you know, go to that five or six level because it's a wipe on? Well, the thing about armor steel being a wipe on typically you're putting on thinner coats thinner sure. film there are a lot of people that will build up the excessive number of coats five six seven coats of finish i'm i'm a, from the i'm a firm believer in that you need to get the wood sealed off and get your finish above the wood but then stop because you can start creating your own set of problems when you get too many coats of finish on you know then you start fighting the finish so with armor seal after about the third coat you'll notice that your film thickness is is going to be there and it's more than suitable for for tabletops and desks and all types of furniture it's really more personal i think a personal preference of how how many coats you want to put on and for the beginner same prep between coats i mean you're knocking it down again each time yeah it requires you know we we do talk about using this is the one situation where we talk about using like a 4 aught steel wool because it doesn't really require a, an aggressive sanding and, uh, you know, we like, personally, we like the flexible sanding pads, Klingspore and Merca and, and um, Norton and 3M, they all make them now. Those are really nice for sanding between coats. It's just a light buffing is kind of what we're looking at. So you don't have to get too heavy handed with the sanding process. Yeah, you're yeah. just trying to knock it down. Yeah. Trying to sand it. 
Just etching it so it can adhere better yep. and bond. Yes. Just curious, uh, you know, you may not be able to uh, answer this, but for a company that has a name recognition like General Finishes and has been around now for 90 years, is there a reason why you're not in, say, like the box stores to be more accessible to the everyday woodworker? Yeah, we, we prefer not to. We just prefer not to get into that, that market because they can consume you. They can dictate to you, you know, product and, and we've, we've always, and this is kind of unusual, but from a business standpoint, we've never done a national advertising campaign ever. We've just built our company off of, you know, the groundwork and working with woodworking stores like Woodcraft and Rockler and Klingspor and Lee Valley, and just really tried to build our business through our quality of our products and reputation of for customer service. And I think that's, that's where we've carved our niche. And, you know, we, we don't consider ourselves a large conglomerate. It's, it's a pretty loose-knit family. It's a dog-friendly factory. People bring their dogs to work. It's, it's, you know, it's a perfect working environment if you're a woodworker or a finisher. That's what's kind of cool about it. If you're in the woodworking community, one product that we haven't touched on that a lot of people do use if you extend out into the finishing aspect is uh, milk paints. Talk with us a little bit about milk paints because I would say that just on the grand scheme there, I, from my end, they seem relatively new to the marketplace than say, you know, as opposed to like your, your top, uh, high performance top coat. Uh, talk to us about the milk paints as opposed, you know, using that as to oppose a, you know, a traditional latex paint. Uh, you know, what are the benefits to it? And, you know, why, why use that over, you know, a regular paint? Yeah. And I'm going to piggyback if you don't mind. Um, there was yeah. a, Instagram follower who had a specific question about milk paint, if you can include this in your answer. He said something about milk paint having a primer built in to prevent the bleed through. Uh, he did a test piece and it didn't work out well for him. Uh, who knows exactly what went on there, but can you be uh, or touch on the milk paint and um, if it's self-primed or if you recommend you know, priming beforehand? Just to, to start with that one, in terms of we always recommend a primer. Um, you can use, you don't need to use milk paint depending on what color you use, however. I mean, if you're using lamp black or one of our dark chocolate, something like that over a piece, you can paint right over it, obviously. Um, if you're using snow white, antique white, any of the lighter colors, I mean, we always recommend a primer. That's why we uh, came out with stain blocking primer um, to stop those issues, bleed through, tan and pull, any kind of issue like that where you're going over existing finish. Uh, we always recommend a primer. That's why we came out with stain blocker. Two coats of that, and then go to your milk paint, your lighter colors. That we feel like that's the best process for that. Our milk paint's 100% acrylic based, extremely durable, interior, exterior related, a full palette of color. And we also make for other stores, uh, I know you're in Chicago, JC Licked, uh, they're tintable. Uh, we make clear and white bases. So it's, it's available in pretty much any color you need. Uh, great over existing finish with a primer. Uh, and we think it sticks to anything, so we're really happy with it. Okay, so I go, I go to JT all the time. I just learned about tinting Enduro because I had a bleed. I had a, used some primer that I shouldn't have used, painted it white, put Enduro <laughs> on it, had some bleed through, go to JT. I'm like, what's up? What happened? And he's like, I'll take care of it for you, no problem. And then he tinted the Enduro white for me. And I, I know this is way off topic. I'm sorry, but I just had to not forget about that. It's so important that people – I feel like that I do know a lot about general finishes, and I didn't know that. 
people need to know mm -hmm. that that's an option because it's so helpful. Uh, Pete, the uh, your question about you know milk paints and being rather new, but um, when I was in business, I used to strip mostly primitives, so anything from 1850s and before, and a lot of them were originally finished in original milk paints, where they actually oh. used milk as the binder. You know, if you ever spilled a glass of milk on a kitchen table and left it overnight, come back tomorrow and try and scrape it off, it's like concrete. So they mm -hmm. used it as a binder, and they they were basically about six original colors in that line. We were approached about 2000 and general finishes did not make paints before that. Uh, just so you know, we were a stain and varnish company and uh, we were approached by one of our industrial customers who had a, a program with one of Creighton Barrel's satellite companies called the Land of Nod in Chicago. Yep. And they asked us if we would produce a line of colors for them, but they want them to be very flat, very rustic, very traditional, you know, historic type looking colors. That's really where the milk paints kind of became more popular back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, it's funny because we we sold that product through the unfinished furniture stores for a long time. People could buy an unfinished piece and paint it and make it look 100 years old. And it, it slowly kind of waned a little bit. But then about maybe five, six years ago, with the resurgence of these furniture upcyclers who are mm -hmm. buying pieces of furniture at rummage sales and flea markets and painting them. And the benefit of milk paint was you could put it over an existing finish without a lot of, you know, too much prep. We firmly believe you need to clean it and prep your surfaces if you're going to paint them. And uh, today it's become, it's become a mainstream market for people. That's all they do is, is buy furniture and, and paint it. And now it's getting into the kitchen cabinet industry where people aren't remodeling. They're just taking existing cabinets and changing the colors and painting them. So that's why it's become a real popular product on the market. Now, for someone like me, uh, uh, in my market area, there are a lot of people that like that two-tone dining table, like a white or an off-white base with a stained top. Tell me the difference just on an unfinished, you know, like, you know, I'm building it from scratch. Why use a milk paint for the base or a regular latex paint? Is there a difference? Do I see more of the wood grain and the milk paint? Uh, T tell me about that. Well, we kind of come from the thought that house paint wasn't designed for furniture. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, wall paints and architectural paints were designed for, you know, different substrates than wood. And and typically most people think of latex as like a rubbery type of paint. You know, you can stretch it and peel it and pull it. Mm -hmm. Milk paint's super hard because of the type of fillers that we're using. And, and going back in to the old milk paints, they were hard like concrete. They had a lot of limestone in them. So that, that produces a much more durable, hard film for furniture. So if you bang a, a chair against the table base, the paint's not going to pop off. So that, that's why the difference between latex is more traditional for house paint. We've always marketed this product as a furniture quality paint. Nice. It looks more added durability that way. Now, on an unfinished piece, do you still recommend a primer if someone's building and say like a you know like a naughty pine naughty spruce anything like that uh or will the or will the milk paint be okay over knots it, it's all color specific because if you're going to do a white base yeah mm -hmm. if I, you know and I, instagram is just loaded with people doing trussle tables and yep you know you kind of know what i'm talking about with yep. everybody buying construction grade two by fours and building furniture out of them you got to prime that stuff because it's those knots are going to show up someday regardless. So 
we definitely mm-hmm. recommend priming it and then painting it. How about clear coats uh, over milk paint? High performance, the water-based HP top coat can can that be used, or or is it or is the milk paint kind of like a standalone as it is? You can use high performance over the top. Uh, we also recommend clear poly over the top as well. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. It can it can stand alone though. I mean, the good thing about milk paint is because of the durability. You know, depending on where this piece of furniture is going in your house, it's standalone. I mean, you don't have to have a top coat on it. Milk paint is durable enough to hold up by itself. Yeah, and it's exterior rated also. So you could do use it for garden furniture, patio furniture. You know, front oh, door. Wow. I mean, there's it's 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 a much more complicated product, I think, than than the label kind of tells you, but we have developed that product as both a commercial grade product and a DIY product. Yeah, I have a mid-century cabinet right now that I'm about to use your red brick um, milk paint on, and I just scuffed it down, and I'm going to spray it on. Is milk paint okay to throw in the gun and spray? Yeah, you should be able to. You might have to thin it down slightly, um, but it should be able to spray right out of the out of the can. Yeah, you know the important thing too, though, when you're going to do something like that, is the prep. You know, it needs to be. What I would do personally is I would clean it, um, denatured alcohol and water, 50/50 mix. Then you're going to want to give it a light sand uh, with a like Scotch Bright pad is a good way to go about that. Clean it, make sure that's dry. Uh, light sand, 220 pad. Uh, wipe that away with a tack cloth, and then go right over it with your milk paint, and you should be good to go there. Yeah, I kind of went overboard with the prep. I think I'm good on the prep. It's uh, I almost took everything off, which is a little overboard. But I just – you ever do a project when you didn't do enough and you're like, I wish I would have done enough because now I have to do even more? <laughs> so one thing about the prep too, if they're going to use our milk paints over kitchen cabinets, um, there's a thing that we kind of call power prep or power clean. Uh, an extra step I would start with is, is kind of dish soap, dilute down some dish soap, uh, again, with the Scotch-Brite pad, and start with that. Clean it all off with that. Especially the areas, you know, where there's a lot of hands touching it by the knobs, all the oils, stuff like that. That stuff needs to be extra prepped because that's, you know, that can be a problem area. It's pretty interesting. You know, before uh, before you guys jumped on, uh, we were talking with someone, talking about uh, a contest that's going on. Uh, but one thing that uh, we I found out before you guys came on is this idea of, you know, if we post, if, if somebody posts a product to your Facebook page, you guys kind of share it across platforms. You guys have this model, this idea of, you know, when the customer does well, you guys do well. And it's funny because me as a furniture maker, I never even knew that. And I love your stuff. If you could talk a little just about the, you know, the the engagement with with your audience, because, you know, I think that there are so many, whether you're a full-timer, a part-timer, DIY or weekend guy, people love to gravitate toward companies that feel like, you know, they feel like a part of, like you're engaging them, like they actually have like a voice. In something as simple as just sharing their work or a post, like, you know, just does so much for like their motivation and whatnot. So talk a little bit about that aspect of general finishes from a public relations standpoint. Yeah, I think personally, that's one of the things that we do best. Um, We kind of say if if you do your project and you and you use general finishes on any aspect of your project and you tag us in it um, through all our social media channels, we'll, we'll post it, we'll promote it. We'll help our customers, you know, get more business, uh, get out there, get a better name. Because if our customers do well, then we do even better. So that's something that our social media does really well. If any of your projects, any of the people that you have listening, if they use general finishes. If they take a picture of their project, Instagram, Facebook, just let us know, you know, so we can find it. Uh, post it on our Facebook page also really helps. 
uh, and we'll promote it. We'll push it out there. And, you know, we've got so many followers across every channel that, that we're really help build our customers brand. And that in turn helps build ours. So. Do you got, do you guys have a hashtag that's associated with that? Like I know rigid has, um, team rigid, you know, that's their hashtag. Do you have like a general finish hashtag to keep track of all these posts? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Just hashtag general finishes one word. Okay. Yeah, that is pretty simple. How do you guys think of that? Yeah. Now, we understand that there is um, a contest going on. Uh, is that something that you guys would like to talk about? Yeah, so if they go to our website, uh, or they go to the website contest.generalfinishes.com, um, we have a whole bunch of contests on there, but there's a woodwork-specific one. Uh, we've got a whole bunch of good judges. Let me just run through the names because I'm sure that uh, your listeners have heard of some of these guys. Uh, we've got Ron Herman, uh, Glenn Huey, Mike Ziegler, Chuck Bender, uh, Roland Johnson, Joe Rector, uh, Jim Heavey, and Jeff Sivak. They're going to be the judges for this competition. Uh, if they go to contest.generalfinishes.com, they'll see the, pro- they'll see the uh, sign on there, and they'll be able to post their product. The whole social media aspect has changed the way companies do advertising uh, and get business and engage and whatnot. You know, for a long time, it was Facebook, and all of a sudden, Instagram has this own little family within itself that's just all these DIYers, woodworkers and whatnot that that talk to each other. It's a it's a great little niche group. Why don't you talk to us just a little bit about like how that has changed general finishes alone, this whole, you know, social media game, what it's done for you guys, um, and how it's helped you grow. Well it's you know, I'm gonna say that that's probably been the most surprising thing even to us as as a we were a smaller company for a long time and we were comfortable with that. And it all, all it takes sometimes is just one viral post, and that's kind of what started the fire. We're really strong. Our YouTube channel is number one. We have about probably 30-plus videos, and we just recently shot 30 more nano videos, short instructional videos that we're going to put out. We have 130,000 followers you know, on, on, on Pinterest. Pinterest was a big help just getting ideas out there. I, I'm with you, Pete, though. Instagram, to me, from a woodworker's perspective, I think becomes much more effective because obviously you can you can show what you're doing without getting into all the fluff that sometimes Facebook presents. Not mm-hmm. that I'm against it, but I'm big on Instagram as far as following woodworkers. I, I can watch a, a, a video on Instagram now, and as a woodworker and a finisher by trade, I think you're right. I think Instagram is going to open this world up to a lot of people that maybe would have never been exposed to it before. So it's gotten to be a point where we have, you know, five full-time dedicated social media people. And that's all they do. Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, uh, YouTube. It's, it's how we've been able to spread our face a little bit further, I think in, in, you know, what, what is a, a large market, but I think that's how we've carved our niche. Well, we can, with that following, we across all those platforms, we can help promote all our customers. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that just goes hand in hand with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I followed you guys for a long time. I've used you guys uh, probably 20 years ago when I was about 15 years old. My mom's antique store, she used you guys refurnishing tables. It's cool to see a company like General Finishes that doesn't go mainstream, that sticks to the people that really use this stuff every day. You guys do a ton of contests. You do expos all over the place. I believe you have an expo coming up in Indy pretty soon, right? Yeah, it's uh, 
the September 5th through the 7th. Uh, we, we ran the first one last year and it was, it was kind of targeted towards our furniture upcycling market. You know, the milk paint people, it's expo.com. So we, if you want to look at it, it's expo.generalfinishes. We decided to do our own thing instead of trying to we were trying to figure out what show to go to to get more people exposed, and we couldn't find it. You know, the big woodworking shows, the traveling woodworking shows, we we kind of stayed away from because they, after a while, they just kind of burned out. I think what we're doing by doing our own thing, it allows us to control the content. We invite vendors. We invite people who aren't even general finishes dealers, but we just want our, our customers exposed to everything that could be possibly make their business easier and, and make them more money. So. I think it's a good thing. I want to give you guys a little bit of props here. Because one thing that I think a lot of people, not only do they love a company with a superior product, but a company that is actually responsive to people. There are a lot, the, the biggest complaint anyone will say to, you know, about a company is, you know, I try to get in contact with them. They never contact me back. So out of curiosity, I just searched my older emails and Matt, it was you that I was emailing uh, back in February and March. Your response time is impeccable. Like numerous responses back and forth within the same days, back and forth on different questions. So the fact that not only are you a great company, a big company that puts out a superior product, but for you know someone to know that they can email somebody over there or call someone, get a voice and get an answer, I think speaks more to you, you know, more about you guys than just beyond a superior product. Thank you. We appreciate that. We try and help, you know, however we comes across, we try and help as soon as we can. And I think everyone here, uh, we do a really good job with that. Hey, Matt, were you the sales rep uh, for Gurney? Uh, JC Licton Gurney. Yeah. Yeah, that's me too. Oh, Pete, he helped me with my uh, my tenable um, Enduro. Because the guy so at JC, what's so basically his name? We, we, found, we, we found the face behind the guy who's been helping us for the last few months. Man, nice. keep up the good work, man. All those guys are super knowledgeable, and they give you a lot of the credit for that. And if they don't know, like when I was in the store, they called you. You answered like right away. I was in and out in five minutes. It's a testament to uh, what General Finishes offers their customers. The availability is pretty huge for a lot of businesses. Thank you. Appreciate that a lot. I, I, I did mention that we just uh, last week, two weeks ago, we finished uh, about 30 nano videos. And these are all really topic specific that we get questions from our customer base. You know, how do you do this or why do you do this? So we, we actually shot two days of videos and those will be up probably by the first part of August or so. They're in editing right now. And we also have thousands of you know FAQs published on our website. So, you know, in today's day and age, most people... As you know, if they can't Google it and find the answer right then and there, then they have a tendency to drop it and move on. What we want them to do is make sure they've got their questions can get answered, either email or, you know, the, this day and age of the telephone isn't as, as effective as it used to be. But general finishes by nature, I think that's why we've excelled is putting that information out for people to have access to it. And if people do have questions, and believe me, every day we get a question we've never heard of before. But that's because more and more people are getting involved in finishing. And if you've been doing it, uh, you know, I've been doing it for about 30 years. You should learn something new every day. That's how that's I think that's how this company always thinks is, you, you know, I've always taught people there is no one perfect finish for every application. That's why I think it's really important to be well versed on a lot of different types of stains, different types of finishes 
and people look at our catalog and our product offering and say, man, you got a lot of products. Well, that's because there's people out there doing a lot of different types of projects. So that's kind of how we approach this, uh, this market. You know, you never really perfect it. You're always improving. You're always getting better at something. As good as you are, as perfect as your technique uh, might be on any given project, you're still always learning as you go, figuring out a better way, a right yep. way. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really a great co uh, collaboration there. Appreciate well, that. Af after 90 years, I'd say Armaseal is pretty figured out, though. <laughs> well, hey, if it isn't broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, that's, that, that, that still works true. A lot of companies are always looking for the new thing, the next big thing. They want to, you know, hit that first. But from general finishes standpoint, it seems like you've figured out what works, what your niche is, and you've just done slight improvements on those things. As there, is there ever a thought throughout the company as to what's the next big thing in ClearCoat? Or is it just, you know what, what we have works real well, let's, let's improve on that? It's, I tell you what, it's hard to come up with new stuff every year. And uh, as a company, we kind of pride ourselves on coming up with new technology or new things. And probably, I'd say the, the newest technology that we've been developing, and again, this all comes out of the flooring industry, is the UV cured finishes for commercial applications, tabletops and restaurants, bar tops. Because what you said earlier in the in the podcast there, Pete, about people are always asking what's a perfect tabletop finish. I think a sheet of glass or a layer of concrete. I mean, even those sure. can be patched and dented and broken. Sure. But from a finish perspective, the UV gives the commercial shop the opportunity of being able to uh, spray or hand apply the finish and cure it and have it ready for immediate service. So we've been developing in the last two years the the handheld spray application UV products. And that just from that we'll build off of that product and there'll be other things to come along. But you know, sometimes I think the best thing is focus on what you do well and just uh you know stick with it. Try not and try not and come up with I think new big ideas sometimes are popular for a short period of time and then they wane and they go away. Sure. Exactly. I think one um, common thing that changes in the paint stain game is color. How how often do you guys come up with a color, and simply what is the what is the quest to get that color? I mean, do you guys bring in designers? Do you do you just pick them yourselves? How does how does the development of your colors happen? Mostly customer feedback. I was you know that's where it all starts because. If you go to our website at generalfinishes.com, there's a there's a link to our design center, which is just ideas. You know, so people can look at new ideas and a lot of this stuff. In we'll find out that uh, you know color trends are. If you talk to like people in the industry, there's always forecast of colors and and gray. I'd say grays have been yep. the biggest for uh, new colors, and it's become the new neutral. Where mm -hmm. before you know your medium beiges and off-whites were popular we've got gray stains we got gray dye we have gray paint we got gray poly we got gray gel we got gray water base <laughs> it's 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 just one of those you could have a complete product line of nothing but grays yep. and they're wildly popular so is that the color up. of your new tables that you just refinished at the office there actually the base is uh, yeah. yeah i did it in <laughs> queenstown gray <laughs> good choice uh, just on the milk paint too we just came out with the milk paint kind of color decks uh, where you can intermix different color milk paints to achieve different colors. Um, so some of our retailers, oh, wow. JC Lick, for one of them in Chicago, has those where 
you know, you can go in there and pick out a color, buy a couple cans and mix your own custom color. Uh, and then they can look at all that stuff on, uh, like, like Tom said, designs.generalfinishes.com. That stuff's all located over there. Well, that's pretty amazing, guys. Uh, I'm, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, I mean, I got above and beyond uh, what I was hoping to get answered. Uh, it just reaffirms why uh, I choose General Finishes, you know, for my finishing products uh, throughout. So I can't thank you enough for, uh, for taking a minute to, uh, to join us today. Actually, longer than a minute. It probably went longer than, uh, than we anticipated, but... You know, when there's good information out there, we just keep rolling with it. Yeah, and please, right. please give Chris Adams a hug from Pete and I, please. She is amazing. I'll she, take one right now. Oh, she's there. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Oh, thank is, is thank she, you, Chris, for like, organizing everything and getting us all together yeah. today. Um, I think that our users in this woodworking community is going to love hearing from you guys. And honestly, after we get feedback from this episode, they're probably going to want to you know, know more. And we would love to have you guys back anytime you want. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah, real quick, uh, why don't you guys uh, plug some uh, some websites, social medias, for the, so uh, you know the audience out there knows where to find you. Uh, generalfinishes.com is our main website. The uh, contest that we're doing is contest.generalfinishes.com. Our design center is design.generalfinishes.com. Designs, sorry, plural. And then uh, obviously we're on YouTube, Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram. We're across pretty much every social media platform you can find us there. Yeah, for everyone who wants to check them out on Instagram, in the Instagram world, they are at General Finishes. So go check them out, get their following up. Uh, Thank you guys. I mean, really, really appreciate it. Uh, We look forward to having you guys on again. Awesome. Uh, Appreciate it. Thanks for the time. We want to thank Tom and Matt of uh, general finishes for joining us today i mean it was really really awesome a reminder to everybody to go to contest.generalfinishes.com to sign up uh head on over there right now seven woodworking categories they're looking for everyone out there to head on over so let's do that you know we appreciate all the support we got from all of you this week thank you for all the people on insta live for joining yeah, thanks for joining us uh, on Insta. You're right, Pete. Um, and keep in mind, General Finishes just recorded 30 new videos teaching all of us how to use their stuff and how to use different techniques. And you know, some of the some of the topics of these videos are how to apply dye stain, uh, color pull with water-based stains and oil-based stains, uh, troubleshooting scratch in a stain, get the look three rustic woods. Get the look barnwood gray. How to mix custom color brick red and Charleston. How to apply Java gel stain to a large surface. There's so much more. So make sure you go to their website, go to their Insta, go to their Facebook page and get caught up on the latest from General Finishes. Also, thank you so much to the band Kamove for lending us your tunes in our intro again. Lastly, we got a new logo last week and that was all due in part to Organic Creations Woodshop on Instagram. Make sure you go check them out. If you need a new logo for your business, it's a one-stop shop. Message them. Uh, For episode five, I had a blast. Pete had a blast. Furniture by Pete, William Patrick Customs. We'll see you in episode six. Keep sharing. Let's get to 1K so we can give away this awesome prize pack to three different people. We'll see you in episode six. Together, we are Gray Knocker Nation, and we'll see you next time.